Hey everyone, I'm Mitchell Ray, and you're listening to another episode of the Real Music Nashville podcast. This week I got to sit down with Volk on another Zoom call. Volk is a local band uh, consisting of Chris Lowe on lead guitar and Elliot Reich. Elliot, I'm sorry if I messed up your last name there. Uh, She plays drums and lead vocals. We had a really interesting conversation um, about what brought them to Nashville. They have a pretty unique story and uh, the importance of networking and most importantly their uh, latest single, Cashville, that just came out and um, uh, the singles that they're going to be releasing leading up to the album release later in May, also named Cashville. So go check out that latest single on Spotify or any of your favorite streaming platforms. And if you have a a single or an album that you would like advertised on the intro to one of these podcasts, just email me at realmusicnashville at gmail.com and we can make that happen. Before we jump into the episode with Volk, I just want to make a quick announcement about the live stream we've been doing, the Deconstructed Sessions. It is also tonight, that's uh, April 19th at 8 o'clock, so don't miss that. For those of you that don't know, the Deconstructed Sessions is a podcast that's under the Real Music Nashville network, um, and we put on a live stream for that every other Monday at 8 o'clock. It's hosted by Chad Wilson from the Wilson Brothers. We're also releasing the Deconstructed Sessions as an audio-only podcast under the same feed as Real Music Nashville, so please don't forget to go rate, review, and subscribe. That really helps us out a whole lot, and uh, hopefully we can start generating some income and start paying some of these people that are helping put together the live stream and just all of this great content we've been putting out. Okay, that'll do it for updates and promos. Let's get into the episode with Volk, and we'll transition with a song off of their 2018 album. This is called Honeybee. That's hey, fine. Mitchell. What's going on, guys? Nice to meet Volk finally. Cool studio. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, this is my uh, little home studio, and mostly it's just for Zoom calls these days. No one wants to come in because of COVID and stuff, you know. Yeah. Oh gosh. Well, that's awesome to have that. And are you are you using a what are they called DSLR camera or is that just your? Oh uh, no, um, your... this is a Panasonic. Let's see if I remember the HC-770V. And it is a 1080p camera that is perfect for live streaming because all live streaming platforms, um, they downgrade your your uh, camera to 720 anyways. So 1080 is all you'll ever need for live streaming. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, also, should, I, I wish I had, I have, we have this camera, could have set that up. That's a live stream camera. Oh, nice. What do you guys use? Uh, well, this is just stuff that my buddy and I invested in a couple of months back uh because we were doing the live stream slash sound for the 
American Legion 82. Okay. Um, we haven't used it as a band yet, just for just like some goofy video stuff, pre-recorded stuff. Um, not sure if we're going to use it for a live stream thing anyways, but, uh, yeah, I like the, I was like, oh, we could have set this up for the interview. It looked like that. <laughs> well, um, I typically don't use too much of the, the video anyways. Um, it's mostly just to impress you guys. <laughs> well, impress. It it is, it's also better for like social cueing and things like that. When I'm on these podcasts a lot of time, I'm interrupting everybody because I don't know who's about to talk. You can't see everyone. Yeah, you can't. You can't see if somebody's about to talk or say something or raising their hands. Wonder if that. You want to turn that light on? Should I turn this light on? Oh, sure. I have a ring light. Hey, nice. I've got yeah. one somewhere around here. I think it's over there. Um. Yeah. Zoom. Zoom has this like noise gate thing that they use where it sort of like cuts people off. So it really makes having a conversation difficult. You know. Yeah. Um, I was listening. You were talking about that in the the year of October interview. Oh, was I? Uh, Yeah, yeah, at the very beginning. Yeah, because my audio messed up on that interview. Yeah, and that was the first time I had to rely on both Mm -hmm. just strictly Zoom's audio, and it's not fun. That's annoying. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, let's get this thing underway, I guess. Uh, What I normally do, and I'm sure you're tired of getting this question, but you guys have such a unique backstory Mm-hmm. I'm certain you've heard it a million times, but if you can just walk us through sort of um, how you met in uh, Europe, I think it was Germany, and then just ultimately the path that led you to Nashville um, to, you know, sort of base your band out of. For sure. Yeah. Well, it was, I mean, actually, it was actually in Sweden. And uh, <laughs> this uh, Swedish producer guy said, I've made all these great boy bands and now I'm going to do a rock duo. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said beforehand, I'm a smart ass. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, we uh, we both got to Berlin for different reasons. I had uh, just finished school and uh, college and uh, studied theater. And Berlin has a pretty thriving um, and unique theater scene. So I had stopped there thinking that's what I would pick up. And I brought my guitar with me and I kind of have been musical in different ways throughout the years and, and thought it would be sweet to, to have that as a companion. And, um, I started playing at the open mics just because that was more interesting to me than, um, than the theater scene, which can be a little bit like, uh, clicky in a way. And my German was okay, but it wasn't amazing. Um, so that's what really led me to starting to play, uh, the open mics and playing my own songs. And then Chris was also teaching in Berlin by way of First Peace Corps, but then through an actual contract with an international school. Yeah, Chris is the actual was the actual teacher, and I was like just getting by with kids. That's Um, a whole nother story of what I was trying to do before (laughs) I tried to get into music. But yeah, I was in Berlin for teaching and was just kind of over it. And I started going to the open mics as well. And we met at uh, at the the Madame Claude's in Berlin, which used to be a a a brothel. A brothel. And all yeah. the, it's like, it's a really unique, I mean, Berlin's chock full of unique dive bars. So it's, it's nothing special to say that this one was also unique, but they had like furniture glued to the ceiling and it was in the basement. And then where they actually had the open mic was in another basement that was like a cellar. About that, yeah. And it was this beautiful open mic that was, um, it was originals only. You weren't allowed to play covers and it would fill up with like 40 to 50 people 
And it was stuffed down there. It's just this little cave that we were all in. And what was wild is you could hear a needle drop in this room. I mean, Germans take their listening almost too seriously, if you ask me. Yeah. Um, and Chris, I remember when I first saw Chris play, he was the only guy playing an acoustic guitar with a slide. And he was doing like a Texas blues kind of thing. Um, it was probably like Revelators or, Thing or uh, one of those. Um, How did... um. How did how did blues go over in Germany? I'm really curious about that because they're sort of all about. I mean, when I think of Germany, I think of like I don't know some type of maybe techno stuff going on, but I really have no idea what the German scene is like. How did blues guitar go over in Germany? I mean, I think it's diverse. Like you'd be, yeah. it, it's it's probably has more to do with the age of the listener yeah. in Germany. But there's actually like between Germany and Belgium and France and the Netherlands, really that whole kind of like northwestern sphere of Europe. They are crazy about their blues. Like mm. what, like sticklers about it. Like almost like if you don't fit the exact like cookie cutter form of it they they don't accept it like it's not authentic enough or something um there there are huge blues blues believers in europe and lovers and festivals um, with route oak um but it's berlin like, is yeah. like i mean that's the hard part berlin is this alien of a city you know it's really unlike the rest of germany and the artists that are there are are not i mean there's german artists there for sure but they're not really representative of like german culture as a whole i would say um, so that's a whole nother beast. I mean, what kind of musicians were we listening to in those open mics, like for the most um, part? Well, the way I kind of distinguished Berlin was like, yeah, it was very much the mecca of EDM, but also a very strong cohort of a folk and was it called anti-folk? Anti-folk, um, which is like a scene that started in New York and, and, uh, so spread. like if you wanted to like kind of spread your experimental wings and with an acoustic guitar with acoustic guitar or a looper there was a pretty good scene for you um and it was a good place for me um to develop because like everybody was doing really experimental shit and um like or and sometimes that was really really cool and sometimes that was really odd and really really bad so i was like i'm just gonna go up here and play this song and I'm not going to be too nervous about it because that guy just did some really weird stuff claiming he was an alien. Um, <laughs> there's also a huge busking scene in Berlin. Yeah. And there um, in the warm months, there's plenty of artists who who actually like just make a living off of busking mm-hmm. and, and uh, like any major city, I think. But um, but Berlin allows for it. Like they've gotten a little more strict over the years, I believe. But they used to let you busk anywhere. Um, but yeah, and I mean, eventually, like, I guess we should just skip to Jim, huh? We had a drummer at the very beginning of the band, so to speak, like after the for like first, a month. Yeah, and we just had him for one month. He was named Jim, and he was from Greece. And what happened and to Jim? He left his drum kit in my um, apartment where we would rehearse. And one day he was like, guys, I'm moving back to Greece. I'm sorry. It's been real. And we actually had played one live gig with him. Uh, it was really fun. But... Uh, the then Chris came over for a rehearsal and I sat down at the drums and the rest was kind of yeah history in terms of like what we do musically. I mean, Chris has has developed all kinds of stuff to you know sit in for bass tones and whatnot. So yeah. that's sort of um, so then you just sort of took over. All right, so for people listening that don't know, um, Elliot here plays the drums and sings lead vocals, and so I guess that is the genesis of sort of um, how Volk 
started. It's almost like um, a white stripes sort of sort of thing, um, except reverse. Yeah. Things. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, it was. I was kind of thinking about when you were talking the year of October. That reminded us it was kind of like similar beginnings, where it was more just kind of like acoustic guitars and singing and things like that's how we kind of started out but then we did get that taste of the rock and roll drummer which we had always wanted to do and that kind of explained the name bulk of like bulk music plus voltage bulk we're clever (laughs) um and then actually that that i think it was called like san george or something was the the gig we played with jim and that was when i learned that like yeah it's a mecca for EDM and it's a great place if you're trying to play that acoustic guitar and sing about songs in Montana. But we, le- I remember vividly at that show when we were like rocking out. People were like, "Whoa, what is this?" And it kind of that's Volk stage one in Berlin, but Volk stage two was kind of like finding where can we play loud rock music because as an unestablished DIY rock duo we we could not find a scene very easily in berlin and we did cut our teeth i mean that's you know we went through about two years two and a half to three years actually of of playing around berlin um we did two small tours our final year there the first was was awful and the second was, it was a week really long great. we only played three of the shows because <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like after the first three shows it was amazing and then each one after that got canceled or something like that, or oh, something man. would happen. Yeah, but the second tour was phenomenal, and that was yeah. right before we left Europe um, in April or March of 2016. Uh, and honestly, it's amazing to play in Europe for any American band. You're always going to confront the fact that like Europeans love any kind of American sound, so they'll kind of love you almost no matter what, almost. So what's, uh, what's an American sound... Like, what are they getting out of uh, an American artist that they wouldn't be getting from someone that, uh, you know, is local to them? Like, Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's it has to do all I can deduce is that it has to do with like the sound of our voices and like our American accents. And then I think I think those I think like the American um like especially like pop culture and uh, has has sort of like become one like one with this idea of like being a rebel and being free and being yourself and and acting with this kind of like independence, you know, and I've, I just feel like that's a whole mood that gets picked up on because I've heard plenty of European pl- bands try to play sort of like American rock and it always comes off as ironic or like not, not as real, I guess, but there's definitely just this, like literally from the, from the mouths of other Europeans, all I've heard is like, it just is so real. Like you guys are so authentic, like your sound. And I don't know, maybe it has to do with like just the roots of everything, you know, like the roots of the blues that all this music we play does come out of and that that is an innate, you know, innately uh, American thing. It's a great question, though. Yeah, I guess there's something inherently genuine because it's something that, you know, as Americans, we sort of grow up with and it's in us um, in the music that we listen to from, you know, growing up and, and just our entire lives that probably somehow... Uh, because it's sort of in us, it trend, you know, it it probably doesn't translate as well as a foreigner trying to adopt a foreign art form. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, if I do listen to like, if, if there were German or bands or European bands that we heard over there, I much preferred when they would just actually just sing, like if it was actually German, like I do have German rock bands that I really like, like Beers and Helden. Um, uh, and I guess it's just, I think it is, yeah, what you were just saying. It's just like, if it's going to be sung in English, it's almost like, it's just weird, I guess, because of the, the, the cultural history and all that stuff and things like that you, you gather throughout a whole lifetime. So, yeah, yeah. but but in in and so in lieu of that, like we wanted honest criticism, I guess, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word. And that was one of the huge reasons um, we've been moved back to the States. And the other was that we just wanted to tour. We were as a band, we were like, we're not going to get anywhere you know, any further if we don't get our butts on the road. And neither of us had uh, like German driver's license, which are actually actually like really complicated to get, like cost tons of money and way more schooling Take than like over here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, wow. so we were it looking was at practical. a year of like renting, um, renting vehicles, vans, and then having to hire somebody to drive us around. Um, Which, you know, yeah. to start off, I don't yeah. recommend any band do unless you've got some label throwing money yeah. at you. But yeah. even then, right. it's risky. You know, it's like, yeah. Uh, yeah. And we thought, I mean, we thought we were going to move back to Texas. We did move back to Texas because Chris is from, from East Texas. Yeah. Covered in a lot of snow <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, like we, we, we thought Austin would be the choice. We played all around Texas that summer of 2016. The Texas tax is very real in terms of touring. Um, so we decided to circumvent that. And our friends highly recommended Nashville. And yeah, we've been here ever since. <laughs> and that's that that has been behind the music VH1. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and by the uh, Texas tax, I think uh, Elliot means that once you live in Texas, it it takes quite a bit of driving to get out of Texas to tour. Yeah, oh, you're, yeah. you're going to go through a whole tank of gas just to get out of state and sometimes just to get from city to city. And if you are in that kind of red dirt um, uh, Americana country music scene in Texas, that makes sense. But not really so much for a DIY rock bands where it's just that red dirt Texas country scene is a def- it's a market in itself. Like you have, you know, uh uh, Robert O'Keefe and, and Pat Green, Texas artists who are multimillionaires, but nobody knows who the hell they are outside of Texas, basically. Yeah. Um, so is that, yeah, I mean, Texas has their own, uh, I guess I'm thinking of Austin has like their own billboard charts and everything. Yeah. Uh, do you think the, the reluctance that artists have to drive outside of Texas, because it is sort of like a vast state, do you think that's why, um, a lot of artists around town say that if you move to Texas, you'll pretty much just stay stuck there. You'll never leave. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's just hard. But I mean, also, it's like you got to look at your preferences. You know, like there are plenty of of songwriters who mm-hmm. are um, incredible and they love living in Texas and it really supports them. And there's just they have a strong community there of, of songwriters. Um, and that's amazing, you know. So it's just kind of what you're looking for. If you want to be out on the road, you know, 200 days out of the year, I don't know, you know, unless unless half of those are in Texas. I don't know if that's the best choice. You can't play a rock show in Palestine, Texas, or in, you know, Midland or something like that. Um, So you're driving, so then you're reduced to a, a 
even though we're a really big state, not a huge market. Um, so just logistically speaking, yeah. Um, so if you, um, but like, yeah, if you are like a, as I said, like Red Dirt, or like if you're a country swing band, man, you can just tour that whole place and make a living. That, make that's, a whole lot of money. Yeah. That actually doesn't sound half bad, you know? I mean, I, yeah. <laughs> if we weren't trying to just, you know, if I wasn't trying to just also rip off Angus Young while trying to rip <laughs> off Dwight Yoakam at the same time, yeah. it would have worked out really well, probably. <laughs> Um, all right. I want to get back to something you said about the, and then we'll move forward to Nashville, but something you said about, um, uh, the, the German, um, open mic scene that you were in, you said that it was so experimental. You felt really open to sort of explore more. Um, how did that sort of form the sound that you guys have now? Because for people that don't know who Volk is or are, I don't know the correct grammatical sentence there but uh you guys have like this sort of like glam country persona on stage and then you're also like a super heavy rock band even though there's only two of you you still have like a uh, a pretty uh, full sound and everything and i just wonder how much of that came out of the german open mic scene or if that was something that was already in you i think that uh yeah i would say definitely the rocker part uh, is, was already in both of us. Like Elliot was weaned on jet. That was and, my like starter and, band um, as a kid <laughs> and uh, went to some crazy, some crazy jet concerts, lots yeah. of mosh pits. Uh, no, their first album was great, but yeah, like Wolf Mother, you know, Muse, just all that sort of early 2000s rock. And then Chris was like nineties rock. Yeah. I mean, like I started playing guitar so I could play those four chords and smell like teen spirit. And um, like once I learned those bar chords, I was done with guitar lessons. (laughs) Um, Like this is all I want to know how to do. Um, I feel like strangely enough with Berlin, it's, I think it's biggest contribution to us is our love of storytelling. Like even when we are rocking out um, or doing the silly, the nudie suit, uh, deranged nudie suits um, and the, honky-tonk band from hell persona we still want to tell good stories um and like that's influence of you know townsend saint guy clark steve earl dolly parton loretta lynn um, coming from that country western style and irreverence for there which i personally kind of discovered over in berlin i think as a reaction to working with a bunch of british people who always made fun of american culture and texan culture um and also just because you can't play smells like teen spirit by yourself and not and sound cool. You sound like a moron in your <laughs> mother's garage. But if you can go and sing a, a folk song by yourself and tell a good story. So that's probably like for me, thing yeah. that's like the biggest contribution for Berlin. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then getting kicked out once we tried to rock out. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So they, uh, they sort of made fun of, they made fun of the sound, but at the same time, there was an audience for it over there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that was more like my British uh, teachers. I was taking this way, but my British teachers who I worked with in the international school. Yeah. Um, the Germans, yeah, the Germans always enjoyed what we were doing and things like that. Like, I like to think that's because we were a good band, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just enjoyed the music. So, uh 
All right, let's get back to Nashville then. Um, like I said, you have like sort of like a flamboyant country look with like a super uh, uh, heavy sound. How has Nashville sort of perceived that? Where do you think you really fit in in the Nashville scene? Hmm, that's a great question. It's weird to think about that a year into COVID of like what that is. I mean, oh, right. um, it is weird to think about what scene we exist in because we we like playing with so many different bands. Like mm-hmm. for our EP release of Average American Band, we had a great country band friends of ours, uh, Flying Buffaloes, but we also asked our good friends, uh, Laurel and the Lovin', who are now just the Lovin'. Um, mm-hmm. And they're a great kind of more rocking soul band of like with the Amy Winehouse feel. Um, uh, so, and we like existing in both of those. And, you know, I, I as I said, I uh, was at the American Legion doing the, the, the live streaming for them sound thing. Like I would enjoy watching bands like uh, Sierra Farrell and uh, the <coughs> Cowpokes. Yeah. But we'll also play rock out shows with Year of October and Casey Joe and the Friday Night Dads. Um, yeah, you guys are sort of in a unique position where you you kind of fit in with um, a little bit of everything. Um, what what sort of led to you guys starting on the Broadway though? I gotta <laughs> clarify that they, they, we are not staples at Tootsie's. You're not welcome. No. <laughs> well, hey, you're uh, playing original music. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might be welcome if you walk in looking the way you guys do on stage, but then once you guys start playing, they'd be like, ew, get out of here. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you guys, um, yeah, it seems like you sort of fit in with multiple scenes in Nashville, sort of the, there's like the rock block scene, and then you've got like the hipster scene that I could sort of see you guys probably falling into as well. So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, you probably haven't had a really hard time finding a place to play in Nashville. Have you found like a sense of community? Is there a certain venue that sort of feels like home to you? Ooh, that's another mm. great question. I mean, I think with spring water, spring water. <laughs> yeah. Just, there's something endearing about spring water. There's something about spring water. That's just, it's this beautiful place for experimentation. And, and those are to me almost like the most important because they're where everything begins, you know, and if you can't cut your teeth there, with your new band or, or project or whatever, you know, like where can you truly, you know, with the volume up and in front of your friends and, or whatever. And like, I don't know. I just think it's, that's like such a undervalued space, you know? Um, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we both have lived in East Nashville for a while now. So that's a lot of the venues here, like Cobra and East room, um, have always been go-tos because they're in our backyard. Um, and, Oh, that makes me miss just going out on like a Tuesday night and seeing like three shows. Damn. Um, But, um, but yeah, like the five spot we love to play. I I don't know. I think to be honest, we've been touring so heavily the past couple of years. I I can tell you more easily the places I love to tour. I miss touring, you know, outside of Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. We were probably, we were on the road more than like with 200 shows. We were on the road more than we're actually in Nashville. Um, uh, But so I don't know if we would ever like we were never like in the middle of a scene. We're kind of like periphery right. yeah. of things. So when we like get along with everybody and we kind of we're just a little social 
social, what do you call those? Jitterbug or hummingbird. <laughs> social hum- hummingbirds. Um, yeah, absolutely. You have to, even if you're on the fringe, yeah, you definitely have to make friends in town to to get anywhere. Um, and, talk- and something, I just had that thought. Sorry to interrupt. No, you're uh, good. For any touring band, once things come normally, you will save yourself a lot of woe once you find yourself into a scene in that different city. Because when you start talking about being in scenes in Nashville, I can think about the scenes that we're in in Austin and Detroit from those three or four bands that we're just really good friends with. That were like, all right, if we're going to play a show, we're going to play a show with you guys. Yeah, and like there's, you know, those circuits that exist. And if you can get on those circuits, they'll Mm -hmm. just keep leading you to the next venue that's going to pay well and have a cool audience, you know, and like, it's interesting how that works. Yeah, yeah that, that was something I was going to ask you guys about. Um, you said you spent like almost 200 days last year before COVID's touring and everything. Um, can you talk a little about, uh, did you guys find yourself on a circuit? Um, and if so, how did you get introduced to it? Because, you know, one thing that this podcast is about is also helping other Nashville artists maybe find a, a path for revenue or just any any path up in the Nashville music scene. So if you guys can sort of like provide, you know, shed some light on sort of the different circuits that surround Nashville for touring and everything, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would say like a couple things before we like lay into the actual like physical places that we recommend people branching out to is, you know, it, this is an industry based on like personal connections it's, you know, networking is like the big cloud operative word or however, but truly like what Chris and I did, especially when we started touring heavily in the States is every bar we went to, you know, every booker we met whose hand we shook, we got to know them a little bit. You know, we asked some questions. We asked about who else was coming into play. We were, you know, we showed up and we were present. And then when we went to to play our music, you know, that's just like the next level. It's like, oh, these guys mean business. Wow. You know, like they've got their, their ducks in a row. Um, and you've established this really important relationship, you know, so really like getting out there as the band, as a band and, um, into new territory, but, but, but staying open and really making a strong effort to connect with even bartenders, mm-hmm. you know, cause those bartenders will get you gigs next time, you know, or at another venue, um, and keeping your ear open has just always, um, helped Chris and I gain tons of ground, um, as we've toured because you start to realize everyone knows each other in this industry too, especially at our level, which is like, you know, our next step, basically, um, especially with like Atomic Music Group, is to start opening for more national acts. But we've done plenty, you know, of of our dive bars and we'll continue to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Most like the ones that survive. Yes, we will play. Um, uh, yeah. She kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just kind of like building personal relationships. Be nice to the sound guy. Buy him a beer or sound woman. Um, uh, and uh professional on time you know all those things Mm -hmm. we take for granted they really they matter and and everyone uh keeps tabs of of all that um but also I just think like you know we're curious people like if I if I have the chance to sit down with the owner or the manager however the booker that night I'm asking them you know hey like how have shows been lately hey what's you know what are you looking to do in the spring Um, we'd love to come back. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've left the venue and Chris already has our next gig there booked, 
mm-hmm. you know, for a couple months down the line. Um, or you're asking, you're making, you're treating fans as friends that you're just meeting and you're cultivating, cultivating relationships with them too. And they'll say, hey, where is the good place to play here? And things like that. And they'll connect you like, or here are the good bands to play with. So yeah, and, it's just networking. Yeah. And if, and when you're, especially when you're touring outside of Nashville, like whatever local band you happen to be playing with, we always ask them tons of questions, you know, get to know, like, is this even the place worth playing? Are we all in the right spot? Half the time it's been no, you know, like you also have to deal with the failures and the like, man, this, I'm sorry. Like I've had plenty of local bands we've played with just be like, I don't really like this bar, but we want to do guys, do you guys a solid. So we're going to play here tonight, mm-hmm. you know? And so next time we're there, it's like, great. Where's the place to play? Mm-hmm. Um, but those, that's really gotten us super far. And I mean, we call it like the cult of the duo because we've been lucky enough to meet tons of other duos on the road. Um, but we do have sort of a tight knit group right now mm-hmm. of duos. And we're always, you know, messaging and letting each other know um, sort of like deals and venues to look out for and all that. Yeah. But And then also, yeah, just with the, the duo thing, it reminded me of like, that's almost always like has been like i've seen as like an economic decision as well like just cheaper to travel around with two people um uh yeah absolutely like when you're starting out if you because i always thought of every first show as was like a sales pitch so i'm not assuming i'm gonna make money even at all i'm just trying to impress somebody who will find me that gig and if you can do that with less expenses so you're not too much in the red so we just have two people and we're in a little minivan um and and that kind of just helped us like okay we're not getting that much money but it's not hurting us that bad so we can keep doing it yeah and like uh i mean what like your fans like we've had so many fans get us gigs you know so like listening to them and taking them seriously and hitting them up after the shows um and kind of getting past that like fear of being a nuisance like you're there it's your show it's your gig you know um so between that and like being professional and just understanding that like as great as your music is as much as you love it as much as your fans love it like you're a band and you're a brand and it really matters because it's how people remember you um and it you know not everyone has to dress up like we do um we love it so that's yeah. one of the reasons why we do it <laughs> yeah, of many it, other yeah, reasons it needs to be it needs to be part of yourself of the um, band's personality yeah but ideally by ideally you know it like it complements your music it says something about your music and what you want to do with it and whose attention you want to get you know there's a reason we dress up like we do because we actually get a lot of listeners who wouldn't necessarily you know, be listening to our music. But when they see us, they're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You know, it opens on both spectrums, on the rock spectrum and on the country spectrum. We're able to open people's ears a little bit more and and kind of like let people hear how they, they both are so deeply interrelated, you know? Yeah, I, <clears throat> I can, excuse me, I can uh, relate so much to Everyone, what you were saying about uh, networking on on these shows on the road and everything, everyone seems to be some sort of a gatekeeper, no matter how small they are. And you can't, you really can't just brush anyone off because it it takes, and also that would just be rude and mean. But I mean, 
Yeah, these these are the relationships that help you form the circuits, I guess. So, so you really are forming your own circuit when you go out and exactly. uh, and you meet all these people. So then you can book, like you were saying, uh, uh, Chris will have, you know, next year's show booked there when you leave. So you've already got yeah. next year's show set up. Yeah, I mean, the amount of times I've seen, uh, you know, a ticket taker at the front who's actually the owner. I mean, I can, you know, you literally just never know or yeah, steps yeah. behind the bar and is serving you drinks. You know, I mean, you just, you got to respect everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And and like, if, even if there's nobody there, you got to play like there's 5,000 people there, like Absolutely. just rock out as hard as you can. Cause you don't know who's in front of you. And you don't know what's in their wallet. We've had people yeah. dish out like a six person, you know, audience. And we make two hundred dollars on merch, you know, and that's a that's a that's an okay night for us. Yeah. <laughs> and I was I was also going to imagine because we were kind of like throwing a bunch of things of like strategizing logistics and things like that, and then thinking about branding. Don't try to do everything all at once. Let it kind of come. Like be patient, because like you know, um, and like the, the whole brand thing that we do kind of develop naturally from hitting the road and not being scared to go out and just do it. And seeing what was what was clicking and what yeah. wasn't, you know, like um, we do the same with our albums, like most stuff we won't record until we've toured it a bunch and we kind of know what it what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's all a process. I think like the biggest thing that I found in Nashville for bands that want to tour is they want it to be perfect from the get go. You know, they want it to all just be super smooth. Oh, we went out for this five day run. It was great. Made a bunch of money, you know, blah, blah, blah. But if you talk to any touring musician, it's a roller coaster ride, no matter how high up you are. You know, the only difference is you don't have to worry about paying, you know, your backing band 10 yeah. grand when you get off the road. You know what I mean? There's less, there's less contracts you sign. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's got to be something great about just having the two of you is not only is it easier to just hit the road and take chances, but, uh, you know, you get to split the money equally. And you were also talking about, you know, sometimes there's not, that much money involved you're doing it to strictly just form those relationships that you can then um Mm -hmm. you know utilize in the future and i can absolutely relate with that even with just um doing this podcast we've been doing a live stream on broadway and i've made zero money from it but i can't tell you the amount of uh contacts and 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 people that i've met and who are we're all going to help each other down the road you know and absolutely and th- that's something that I've found in doing this podcast is how how helpful the community in Nashville is. Like the more bands that I meet, um, you know, I, I originally, the idea of this podcast sort of evolved um, into me wanting to create a network where artists can sort of, uh, you know, promote each other and raise each other up. But that the more and more I do this that community already exists. There's no reason for me to create it. I would just be creating a subsect of it, which I'm still going to do. But, but yeah, it, the more and more I, I learn, it's, it's just really all about the personal connections that you make out here. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. So on that uh, long winded, um, you know, whatever I just went on, uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you were talking about, you know, it's great for you guys um, going out and doing these tours and stuff so you guys can sort of evolve. At what point did the crazy costumes come into play and how did that sort of evolve into your brand? 
That's a well. You started wearing the sequin dresses. I so I have a theater. I have a theater background, and I used to work in a costume shop in school to to help pay some bills and stuff. And I've always loved costumes and whatnot. Um, So I started collecting like whatever sequin dresses I could find at thrift stores and wearing them while playing the drums, which I don't recommend because (laughs) usually you end up with a bleeding hand as the sequins are very unforgiving. Um, But that was super fun. And then we threw some, I think we were, you were already wearing a cowboy hat and then I got myself a cowboy hat. I I started, mine was, I started wearing the suit suits. I think when we, at at like that last tour, like I wear like a, just a black suit. Like I had gotten very much out of trying to like style myself because I was poor all the time. Um, but we uh, used to, but so like, I guess like, yeah, buying the sequin well, dresses in, was what started yeah. everything. Cause then we yeah. got you like this blue, Chris looked like Buddy Holly or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was like wearing this like suit. slightly overs- oversized I wore suit. that thing into the ground, man. Um, <laughs> like just wore it every single show. And it was just like this, I had it from a, 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 a thrift store. Like right when we first started touring in Nashville in 20, what was that, 2017? Yeah, it would have been 2017. Yeah. And um, we were, I mean, we were always super inspired by like the nudie suits and stuff just because mm-hmm. they're iconic, you know, and they look so, they look so fun and, uh, and fresh and clean. Um, and then, I mean, I've always been, I don't know if you know the band Lucius. Um, mm-hmm. They did, they, uh, they're amazing, incredible songwriters. They did like a couple world tours with Roger Waters doing the, his backing vocals, but they're their oh, own wow. band too. And um, they always have, they've ever since the beginning, they've always had a very specific look that was very like 60s inspired. And um, it's these two lead vocalists, females, and they always have matching outfits. Um, so I've always been inspired by them. And that kind of led us to to figure out what our image would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but these new suits we have are like next level. Our yeah. cowboy hats light up. And yeah, stuff. we've never They're had amazing. actual matching outfits. Yeah. But yeah, I think the cowboy hat for me started coming into play because I knew I wasn't going to be able to fall, fall, fight the male, paddle, male pattern baldness anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so it's like just like a cheap <laughs> Rogaine is what I call it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, just uh, we were becoming more theatrical and I had a friend um, design me a kind of a fake nudie suit thing. It says like, could you just like a nudie suit on acid? Um, (laughs) And, and I kind of slowly get those suits every once in a while. And, it and just helps, you know, like, he's this tall dude and he's got this bit, you know, cowboy hat on some kind of like showy jacket. Mm-hmm. And my drum set's like a Ludwig, like silver sparkle centennial kit. And like, mm-hmm. I mean, well, people who haven't seen us before, if we're going like loud. We get so many amazing, like what the fuck faces. Yeah. And it's, am- <laughs> it's the best. That's what yeah. you want. You've got them, you know, you've yeah. got them at the, in the palm of your hand. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and it, it probably helps having a, um, you know, a theater major, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in the mix to help, help, uh, sort of design all of that. And it really, um, yeah, it really does make a statement. You know, I was watching some of the videos that you guys have made and put on YouTube and stuff. And, um, yeah, seeing that live, it would definitely make a statement and be memorable for sure. Um, and I, I wanted to talk about some of your videos that you've uh, put out, especially for your new single Cashville. Um, they all seem like, or not seem, they all are, are really shot very well and uh, look really professional. I was wondering if maybe you, did you have, um, 
maybe some friends from uh, college that were in theater with you or something that are doing that for you, or if maybe your label is it Ramos Records? Are they sort Romanus? Roman. Sorry about that. No, <laughs> okay. my gosh. We we usually mispronounce it on purpose and go Romanus. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, are they are they sort of hooking you up with the the professional um, uh, people to to shoot these videos, or are you doing it yourself? Well, that's a great. I mean, uh, yeah. So the the Honeybee music video, we have like two pretty solid like official music videos, if you will, and and Honeybee, which we released a couple years back, um, was shot all in Nashville by a Nashville local filmmaker. His name's Jason Hassel. Um, and, and he's a, he's an amazing dude. He was actually like a film student, like fresh out of school. And, um, how exactly did you find him? Uh, he was Tori's friend. Oh, he was a, yeah. Okay. So he was a friend of a friend. Um, and that sort of pinwheel, I mean, that was, that was luck. That was luck. That was total luck. And he was in Nashville and um, we'd seen, he had actually worked on a bunch of music videos. So, yeah. you know, in our, in our minds, we were like, amazing, you know what you're work, doing. Um, so that was Honeybee. And that was once again, like super low budget. We yeah. shot that all in one day. Watkins, Watkins at College. At Watkins College. Yeah. They were able okay. to get into yeah. that studio. Cause they were students or some of them were still Some of them were, the so I think some of their yeah. like good, uh, you know, stagehands and stuff. We're yeah. still students. So they got them like the space. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that was, that was total luck. And then this recent uh, music video for welcome to Cashville. That was another, stupid I would say, I would say a huge heap <laughs> of stupid luck, but yeah. also a great kind of like circles back to our mm -hmm. conversation yeah. about networking. Um, Chris and I make it up to Minneapolis probably three times out of the year. Sometimes sometimes, probably three mm -hmm. times in the year. Uh, it's a great city to play. If you're touring, look forward to Minneapolis. They love music there and they are any time of year. If you want to, if you want to risk it, get out there. They eat hard and they drink hard. The first time we went and played there, we were like drunk in the first 30 minutes. <laughs> At like four. <laughs> yeah, four in the but, afternoon. But, uh, like, oh, now we have to play the show. <laughs> um, but so we were playing in Minneapolis, this bar called Mortimer's. They're amazing. Um, and a filmmaker who we didn't know was a filmmaker at that time. We just thought he was a fan would always show up to our gigs, you know, 11 PM at night. And I think the second time that he came to our show, he actually brought it up. He was like, Hey, you guys, like I, I make music videos. Um, and he wanted, he was like, you guys don't have a music video yet that really like personifies what you do and like your personality on stage. Um, like, let me know when or you want to do this. Amount of ridiculousness. Yeah. And uh, that's Patrick Pearson. And he is a 100 professional filmmaker. He's done advertisements for BMW and Red Wing Shoes. And he's done tourism, um, like little documentaries yeah, he, for countries. He and, gets, yeah. He gets really cool jobs where he gets to like go to like Costa Rica and, and, uh, Thailand and all these things. He's used South to working Africa, and he yeah. makes these really cool tourism videos for the country. Yeah. And he's used to basically he's used to working with like ridiculous budgets, but he's not used to having total creative license to do whatever he wants. So this was the sort of, you know, uh, special creative project where he could experiment really. And he was super stoked to do that. And he brought out his friend, Bo Hakala, who's also a filmmaker from Minneapolis, um, who actually was the DP on it. Um, and we worked with like a five person crew. It was ridiculous. Uh, Two of those how we people made that happen. being us. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you can't expect to get everything for free. You got to work a little bit. But that, yeah, that exactly. That's, um, yeah, that all brings it back around to networking. I mean, you never know. I swear, since I've started this, and I feel like I'm repeating myself. I probably said this, but um, every week that I've started doing this podcast, it's like another opportunity that I never really, really would have imagined sort of just like pops up and it's just through meeting people, you know, and I hear yeah. this time and time again. Yeah. If you want to look as cool as us, Mitchell, you should, should get in contact with Sabelle Elena, who made our, our outfits, the latest ones. So hey, I might. Networking. I might. I mean, uh, I could deal with. I could do with a uh, <laughs> a uh, a rhinestone jacket of some kind. Yeah. Oh yeah, she yeah. makes beautiful jackets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So let's talk about your your single that has just come out. Um, I think fairly recently. Welcome to Cashville. Uh, uh, is this is this leading up to more singles coming out soon, or an album, or can you talk about any of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about it all. So the album uh, will now be officially released on May 28th. Uh, it's called Cashville. Not to be confused with a single, Welcome to Cashville, because we're <laughs> smart Alex. Um, uh, but it's, it's the first single and it's the first track on, on the album, um, Cashville. And yeah, we have plans to release um, singles uh, leading up to it um some lyric videos possibly a music video um you guys you were talking with the year of october about paying for pr and paying for all those things like when you don't really got the the tourism trade train going you gotta be very specific in your uh investments and things like that but we'll definitely be releasing people will be hearing songs in the next month or so other songs from the album which is exciting we, we recorded it about two years ago uh, up in indianapolis and which is how it goes, you know, I mean, show me a band that just recorded something and is quickly releasing it, you know, yeah. on any kind of major scale, unless they're, you know, millionaires already. Yeah. Um, but we've been sitting on it for a while. We were supposed to release it last summer. Obviously, we didn't want to do that. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. Honestly, we're excited because, it's, you know, obviously for everybody, it's been a long year and we're fingers crossed going to hit the road in the fall, which is crazy to say, but but the, the, the plans are in the works. We do have some actual live shows lined up. The most the most uh, pressing will be in April, at the end of April in Iowa, Dubuque, Iowa. It's an outside, like very COVID friendly. We've like did a lot of vetting. It's called Vintage Sports. It's a big car Sports show. Fest. Yeah. It's a big oh. antique car uh-huh. show. But uh, well, that will be our first return back. And uh, yeah, we're signed with Atomic uh, Music Group uh, for booking. Uh, and we had our meeting with our booker brad recently and so he's like yeah fall like you know fingers crossed you know we're gonna start booking it we're gonna start booking it we're not really sure what it's gonna look like but we're gonna start booking it talking talking about the machine uh uh your your single seems to have like some some like rage against the music industry machine type vibes in it um is that something that is like a theme throughout the album I think there's like I would say for this one there is a a theme of raging and calling out in you know, things that are uh, not authentic, I guess for that and like uh, and for us yeah. as a band. I yeah. mean, this is because this is our first this is our first ever album that we're releasing, 
and we've been a band for probably about seven years, which is insane. Um, but this is really like, you know, us on our, on our, wearing our, ourselves on our sleeves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to start with a song that is sort of one of the reasons why we left Berlin. Um, but also, you know, one of the strong, our sentiment about the music industry as it is, especially here in Nashville and mm-hmm. who's making money and why they're making it. Yeah. 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 That can get pretty frustrating, especially with, um, it sort of seems like, labels and I know you guys have a label so I don't want to like step on toes or anything but it sort of seems like the industry is reforming itself to um I don't know take the lion's share especially from streams which is where artists are getting all their money now um is that is that sort of I don't know is that something you guys have sort of seen as well yeah I mean I think that over the past 20 years, you've just seen such a dramatic shift in what the music industry even is. So, I mean, I don't expect it to catch up because even like we, it's funny because we had talks about this when we first moved here, the legality of it all hasn't caught up. Like there actually aren't laws that are updated to say, to really like articulate the, the amount of streaming that's going on right now. So you just go off like each specific platform, you know, but there's no overarching um, like law that would actually help the art, us artists get paid, which I think is one of the huge issues. Yeah. It's a legal black market essentially because the current safe Harbor laws protect all the streaming sites from actually getting any, having to deal with like copyright issues and, uh, so therefore, you know, Spotify can, you know, only give 0.0004 of a cent or whatever for a stream. And that's, and they can make, cause that's the only way that artists can be sure. It's like, okay, that's actually my music being put up online with my actual permission. Um, and I think I was just reading an article saying like, so what's his, uh, Ed Sheeran is the first one who has like 3 billion streams. And it's like $22 million. And you're thinking like that's compared to like that amount of streams is actually not that much. And that's like the best of the, the, the most paid of the most paid, which is 0.001 of the music industry. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. yeah. So it's just, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, um, what it's currently is i mean it wasn't great before with the labels kind of controlling everything and being the gatekeepers it wasn't that great before but now it's even worse and it's not a system i don't see improving improving or just being able to sustain itself unless like you're just going to have like what we complain about just algorithm cookie cutter music that everybody's just trying to create the same thing and you're never going to have another prince or a david bowie or experimental types Because you can't, like an artist like that could never truly, you know, yeah, well, just like you said, experiment like that and, and thrive and, you know, support themselves and whatnot. Um, Truly. I've always, I've always, I've always said, uh, if Bob Dylan was coming up today, he'd be pinning this on the streets. He would never, no one would have accepted him and taken him in. No, that's a lot. Yeah. And I think, you know, like on the flip side or the, I guess like the, the, the pro of it all is that you can do what we've done. You know, you, if you really want to, you can do the work and like 
do it all yourselves. Like Chris was booking for us, you know, up until last year and he still does a little bit on the side, but you know, you can do so much side hustle and, um, you, you can have your own studio, you know, like yourself. And these are things that were much harder to come by, you know, decades ago. So it's a yin yang, but, um, it, the more, you know, the better, honestly. And it's just evolving with the mediums of like, you can't really think of Sally. You can't really think of things like releasing an album as the biggest thing, more single oriented or just like remembering about Chance the Rapper. He came up because people really liked his hat, <laughs> um, but he's completely DIY and he owns everything. And that's like, as, as Ellie was saying, like, if you do everything yourself, like um, John Prine made the point. It's like, I can sell 6 million albums and only make this little bit after I have to pay the label or I sell 600,000 and I keep all of it. Um, so it's a lot more work and it's less gl- glorious at the beginnings and things like that. But like, and it's just, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I should say like, will this, is this system sustainable with how Spotify and YouTube and them have it set up, but hopefully artists will adapt to it um, and maybe fight better for um, owning our piece of the pie. Yeah. It seems like the onus is, really on the artist now um and you know you i always heard about you know artists going around and sort of cultivating uh their own fan base you know and if you can get a super solid core uh uh of a fan base they will support you and you can make a pretty decent living just like if you were doing a nine to five doing something that you love instead but that whole model was really really dependent on hello cat and that just walked We've been joined by my cat, dude. Hold on. Uh, but yeah, oh, that, technical difficulty. <laughs> that um, that model is really based on uh, performing live, you know. And now yeah. that that's gone, uh, there's really nothing but live streams left to kind of reach your audience, which is something I wanted to talk to you guys about. Like, what has your experience been with the live streams that you've done? I know you did the five spot. Um, what kind of return on that are you seeing? Well, when the pandemic first hit and everyone was truly quarantining, we did a series that was every week mm-hmm. for about a month or two. Um, and that was fun just because it was uh, a cool way to see our fans all around the country, yeah. you know, like join in. And and uh, it was a bit different for us because normally we're super loud and we decided to um, cut everything back and just do acoustics just cause it was something we could handle and we wanted it to sound good and not fuss with it too much. You know, we just straight out of the gates. Um, and that sort of, you know, we just thought that's probably not the best to just do every single Friday. Cause then it's not as important. It's not as special. Yeah. I think some of our fans really, really missed us, but you know, it's like, what are you going to do? You, you gotta find the next thing. And it, you had to realize like, look, darn, you can't play the same 10 songs over and over again each night like you get to used to on the on the road and so we were like trying to come up with different ideas of of covers and things like that and like we did like a I think we did like a pop night which was cool for us you know it was creatively it was something nice to focus on um but we basically have graduated to either pre-recorded live performances um, which I think are honestly great. Like your fans get a higher quality of everything. Um, and the fact that you aren't performing that live that second, I don't think that's actually like, to me, it doesn't, I, strangely enough, it doesn't bother me. And I'm a huge live person. Like I love everything live and, 
and authentic. Right. Um, but I think for the quality, especially if you're asking people to pay for a ticket, that's the best way to go in my mind. Um, the five spots got an amazing structure set up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had a great time there. It sounds good. It looks good. Uh, I'm sure they invested tons into it because mm-hmm. they knew it was their future for the next year or so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I don't know. We we plan to do maybe one or two more of those sort of uh, probably pre-recorded. Um, we've done them for festivals, certainly throughout the past year. Um, and those have gone over super well. And we've also gotten that content back, which I think is huge. Yeah. yeah. Um, strangely enough, you know, before all this, this pandemic started, that was kind of harder to come by was a solid recording um, that was really well done. You know, I mean, anyone can record or you can always take your captures from your show, but something really professionally done can be, can cost quite frankly, quite a bit. So Oh, yeah, you get when we started like looking into the like more high end live streaming stuff, like you know, thousands upon thousands of dollars for cameras and lightings, and then the interfaces and things like that. And just like we're just an outfit of two people, so like, like are we just gonna have to pay a mixer every single time and pay this videographer every single time? So it gets expensive quick. So, like, you figuring out, and like, we've kind of as I said, like my buddy and I've been able to invest in like these cameras and things like that. So probably start trying to do those things. But also like you were saying about the return, I guess, like at first, you know, like people were like buying merch and sending us like PayPal things like that, but it was just oversaturated after a while as well. And even still some of the stuff that we've done, like we're not, it's not, it's, I think across the board for anybody live streaming right now, except for maybe a few, I don't think it's actually like, paying for itself or anything like that it's it's more of for us like a connection thing so that's why we've started doing live streams on instagram where we're just we have the acoustic guitar and yeah. like, we'll interview a friend and we'll just make a bunch of silly jokes because i think that's more important and like and that's more like saying hi to all our fans you know yeah. it's more of like a shout out like hey we see you we miss you we're thinking of you um i mean i, th- I think it's really made all of us artists who are used to being on the road, like pause and consider what, what it can look like to be able to connect to your fans, even when you're on the road, you know, to, to Mm -hmm. markets that you're, you won't maybe reach for another six months. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially like, it's made me think a lot about like reaching out to Europe because we did go on a tour in 2019 in Europe um, and made some really solid fans there. And it's, I think it's a good way to reach those guys when you might not be seeing them for another year and a half, you know, realistically as a band. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. The, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's a good point you bring up with the live stream stuff is that you can oversaturate your own fan base and they're just like, uh, I'll catch them tomorrow. Cause they'll be doing the same five songs or 10 songs. Like you were saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um all right. So, Oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was it. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I just got a couple more things, and I'll, I'll let you guys go. Um, uh, one of the uh, the two questions that I've been asking um, the people that come on the show is, uh, uh, what kind of advice would you give a Nashville artist that's, you know, maybe just getting on to the Nashville scene? What kind of advice would you give to them coming up through Nashville's music scene? Treasure songwriting and just being those first couple of months and years where you're just like writing the best songs that you can and just always keep that in mind. Just like a good song can take you so far, like will take you further than anything else that you do. 
So, um, or whatever, those good songs. Yeah, yeah, whatever you're interested in. I mean, yeah. some, some, you know, some artists are obsessed with the song and the story and some are obsessed with the sound. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, follow where, where your passion leads. Um, in that respect. But I think that like, especially once things start rolling around again, honestly, just playing wherever you can and taking those connections seriously. And they don't have to all be meaningful to you, but you have them, you know, and you've met those people. And especially in this town, everybody knows everybody. So it really behooves you to start knowing everybody too, you know, um, and meeting other artists. And I think it's like, it, I think this city, it could become like New York city where it's just super competitive. Um, and it is super competitive, but I think here people are a little bit more communal about, about their work and what's getting them places, you know, what's working for them, what's not. Um, so just taking seriously those relationships with your fellow musicians and, um, we've, you know, and brainstorming with them because we're all in this together. You know, we help each other, honestly, at the end of the day. Yeah, there's definitely more a community here of paying it forward mm-hmm. of like, let me, by me helping you, I'm helping myself. Yeah. And that's yeah, absolutely cut throat, cut throat of LA and New York City. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, yeah, helping others does absolutely help yourself. Um, guys, I want to thank you so much for coming on. And I have one last question for you. Um, in the sense of building that community I was talking about, earlier where everyone builds each other up i know it already exists but i want to build upon it so uh with that being said what is one nashville based artist that you would uh recommend to the listeners my favorite nashville band is uh casey joe and the friday night dads friday night dads i can't speak english for some reason (laughs) Uh, casey joe and the friday night dads they're my favorite nashville based band okay uh, casey joe has a a hilarious song called i don't want to die for you and I'm always singing because it's about not wanting to go to work. And so I'm always singing <laughs> it in my head when I'm like working. It's like, I don't want to die for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Um, I would probably suggest uh, the Inscape, which is a really cool psychedelic rock band. Um, that's basically the bassist and the guitarist. It's it's headed by John Condit, who's the guitarist for, um, oh, Lily Hyatt um and the, her bassist as well um they're really great and the other band i would recommend uh, sorry i can't just do one it's too hard <laughs> that's fine um, are the lovin the lovin is amazing laurel's the main mm. songwriter for them and they're a bunch of belmont grads and uh just some just good music good songs yeah just solid musicians yeah yeah we have a good had our first meeting of them was in what's Indiana, that really weird. Town. Yeah, we all met on the road. I love yeah, when that happens. Yeah. You just meet another Nashville band at another yeah. venue. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. That town is a really goofy town. I'll think of it later. Muncie. Muncie. Muncie, Indiana. It's a weird town. More about those connections. You know, you make them yeah. everywhere. Um, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I love your sound. I love the costumes just as much and uh, the content you guys keep putting out. Please uh, take the end of this episode and just plug anything and everything you have coming out and going on and anything you want the listeners to know about. Awesome. Yeah, you can find all of our socials on our website. That's uh, livevolk.com. You'll find Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, like all our merch. We've got some really cool vinyl for sale up there um, from Romanus Records. 
um, and whatnot. Our music videos are all up there. Mm-hmm. We, uh, yeah, stay tuned for our album Cashville. It's coming out May 28th. We're super stoked. It's going to be good. Uh, we'll be dropping some some stuff along the way, so stay tuned. Yeah, follow us on on uh, on Spotify because you'll get automatically get some new songs as we drop them. Yeah, and that has been Duke, my cat <laughs> making all the noise. And there's the cat. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. And I can't wait to see you guys live when you start um, playing again later in the year. And um, I'll definitely subscribe so I can check out those live streams you were talking about that you have coming up. And uh, yeah, everyone just watch out for their their next album, Cashville, coming out and subscribe to their Spotify. Thanks again, guys. And uh, thank you so much, Mitchell. Thanks, Mitchell. Thank you. And I'll see you guys around. Cool. Bye. Bye. And that is the episode with Volk. Don't forget to go check out their latest single, Cashville, and be on the lookout for their new album coming out later in May under the same name. Also, just another quick reminder that our live stream for the Deconstructed Sessions is tonight at 8 p.m., so don't forget to tune into that. All right, and we will transition out of the episode here with the title track off of their album coming out later in May, so be on the lookout for that. This is called Cashville. All right, you human piles of filth! These white alligator boots ain't gonna buy themselves, so you get your sad boy, country honky-tonk, whatever your hot bodies, out there on the road, and you gon' make me some honey! Another great.
for Waylon, and this one's for Willie, and this is for the great towns Van Sant. And good old Steve-O, cause the judges in this world will be the king of fucking Nashville!